Welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and how you guys all doing out there? We're in the middle of the summer right now, and I have to say, if there's a summer that felt good, this is a summer that's really doing its magic. I think the last five months have affected so many people in such different ways. While there's some people who feel this COVID disruption has had a positive influence over their lives and that they were given the time to reflect and emerge with a new perspective, while there's others' lives that were been totally turned upside down and for a better part left to be rebuilt from scratch. I feel that no matter where any of us are on that spectrum, we're all in this together. There's a common vision emerging, and that's that we've structured our present system in an unsustainable way. And its clear fragilities just can't withstand the demands of our species' future. As we lobby the leaders for change, we know the existing status quo is going to resist, right? And uh, we know all too well that change from top down is agonizingly slow and, to say the least, uninspiring. It's burdened with uh, endless amounts of red tape. But we can't live that way. We need to know that we have some sort of control over things. And while we're not going to relieve the government and industry from the responsibility to act morally and, um, and in alignment with a sustainable future, we're going to have to find something that we can do as individuals, that we stay inspired and we can do the things in our lives that make us feel like we do have that control. During the COVID lockdown, I spent a better part of the time uh, intentionally trying to build a new path forward for myself, for my family, and uh, trying to be a good citizen, trying to see what I could bring forward um, in as far as even podcast content, trying to help people to understand maybe what they can do for their exercise during COVID disruption, how they can maybe lock down their, their nutrition by having uh, relevant guests on in that time, I came across a YouTube video that captured my attention. It was so relevant to my experience at the time. The video was created by our next guest, Chase Tucker, a.k.a. Chase Mountains on Instagram and YouTube. He's an ultra-athlete, mountaineer, and adventurer. He's an online coach who helps people to regain their sense of adventure. When I reached out to him after encountering his video, he was so receptive and welcome, and we set right down to nailing a time for our podcast. His love for adventure and tackling big life challenges make him an amazing guest for these times. And to quote him, when all this passes, what will be different? Now let's get right into it, Chase Tucker. Chase. Hey, how you doing, Sean? I'm good. How about you, man? Great to hear from you. I'm doing very well. Yeah. Uh, thanks, to, thanks for the invite. Yeah. I'm psyched about our little chat. Yeah, I'm. listen, man, this is just the miracle. I know maybe I'm showing my age here, but just calling around the world and here you are, an answer within five seconds and we got this FaceTime <laughs> thing going on. We're recording a podcast. I it still blows my mind. It really does. 
<laughs> You're showing your age a little there, mate. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, am, I am 52. I'm still getting used to the technology. But maybe that's a good thing because I'm still loving it, right? I, every time I use it, it's like it's for the first time. <laughs> yeah. No, I really enjoy this format. Um, I've been on three – no, this will be my third podcast. And I just love it because it's a whole different kind of uh, environment where – you don't usually get uninterrupted conversation for this long. Like usually you're at a restaurant with your friends or, you know, something else is happening. You don't often get an hour or two hours or whatever to just have these long form conversations where you end up realizing a lot of things. So I, I'm super down for, for any podcast invite and I was very happy to receive yours. Yeah, I reached out to you, and I have to say, as as when we spoke on the phone uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I was actually pleasantly surprised at the re, at the speed of your response to my my request. Because you listen, I mean, let's call it what it is. On YouTube, you got a hell of a following. Your your social media following is very strong. And typically, you know, we reach out and we don't really hear from people so fast. So my hat's off to you, man, for having such a strong following, but still being super efficient at following up with people who show interest in your brand. Yeah, I think I've gotten very used to staying on top of particular Instagram because I actively encourage my viewers to just, send me a DM like I'm not that precious about it like it's generally something because I have I've built so many resources over the last eight years if someone has a question I'm like hey cool what's up yeah no dramas I'll I'll send you a link usually it's something from my website or from a, a peer and so I don't need to have a like a long form texting you know yeah. thousand word response so I can just send them a link and just go Here, here's the information you're looking for and I guess that's probably why things have worked out relatively well for me online. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just I genuinely enjoy helping people. So. Yeah, it shows, man. shows. How's things going in uh, <laughs> Barcelona over there? What's, what's going on with the COVID situation? Uh, we are currently back in what they're calling a lockdown, but it's not really. We had a, we had a, a state of emergency lockdown where they could enforce legally they could mandate certain things uh what we're in now is like we're in detention you know if we were school kids we'd be in detention we're not we're not expelled yet you know so it's like (laughs) you 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 this is what you should be doing but we can't force you to do anything like so they've closed they say they've closed some restaurants but basically everything seems to be the same uh as far as i can tell i think there's been some events cancelled and that sort of thing but I initially thought that it was going to be as strict as the first one, but it's actually not. It's more of a, a recommendation. Yeah. So tell me, man, how's that all affected your work? You know, like your um, your mountaineering. Has that had any? Because obviously, traveling is has been a problem. But you are in Spain, full of mountains. So has that just mm. pushed you to do more um, domestic work? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of pushed my calendar in terms of things I had planned. So, I was uh, before the lockdown. I was training for my first ultra marathon. I've never done an ultra marathon before. What distance? Um, what are we talking about? What's this it? was sixty-eight. 
and it was due to happen on the uh, in June or July. So that obviously didn't happen. Uh, I wasn't even able to run during my lockdown, even though I was, I was at the time I was in a small village of only about a thousand people. I wasn't actually able to go outside. I could only go to the supermarket and the pharmacy, and that's it for maybe somewhere between three and four months, like a significant amount of time. So I wasn't able to do any running. I did my best to try and do aerobic conditioning on the balcony. And it was just painful because I've got that, you know, I can, there's a view of the mountain. If you go to my YouTube channel, you can see it. I'm like doing my, my training on the balcony and the mountains in the background. So I've got the motivation and everything. And uh, I've got all the resources I need because I usually go pretty light in, time in terms of the kind of training that I do. I just need like a step or a box or uh, maybe resistance bands at most and I can get most of the things done that I need to do. So I just tried to maintain my fitness level as best I could. I definitely lost some fitness but uh, in terms of aerobic fitness, but I came back really, really strong because I just switched to doing strength training. There is, like in, here in, in Barcelona, there is several kind of muscle beach kind of style things where it's all sort of calisthenic gyms. So I do a little bit of training down there in the mornings before it gets too hot. Where I, I've just moved back to the city, so I've got a terrace and I just do most of my training at home on the terrace because often I've got to squeeze in a quick workout before I have a call with someone or before I've got to edit a video or, or do some programming. So you're training from home, like you're getting it done. You're keeping your fitness up. And this was a recurring theme for me in my podcast during COVID. I was trying to tell people like, listen, man, like, okay, so the gym's closed, but you can stay in shape. You can really actually more than stay in shape. You can build up a totally new conditioning working from home. There's really no need to, to need elaborate equipment. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, a hundred percent. If I mean, if I really wanted to, I could have jogged up and down on the spot and done step ups and maybe done laps with my tiny balcony, <laughs> but it wouldn't have been very enjoyable. And I, part of what I, what I do is most of what I do is for enjoyment in terms of my mm -hmm. training. Like it makes me feel good, and it's it's training me for something that I'm super passionate about. So you know, rather than just punishing myself and sticking to my guns, I decided to change tactics a little bit in terms of what my goal was. And I was like, I'll just do strength for the next, mm -hmm. for, the, for the period that I'm in lockdown. That worked out fine. Um, but in terms of the ultramarathon, it was postponed to September. And at first, I was like, okay, cool, I can still do that. Because I had, my other plan was to walk the, Transpiranesia. It's the or the GR11. It's a hundred and eight hundred and twenty kilometer through hike from uh, the Atlantic coast in, all across Spain, across through the Pyrenees to the Mediterranean. And I'm hoping to do it in, in under a month. And the ultramarathon was about at the halfway point. So hold, hold like, on, man. I before you continue, I had too many questions here. Uh, you, you work for a living, obviously. <laughs> You're an online coach. So yeah, how, yeah. what do you do, man? Like when, because I'm all on board with that. I'm trying to plan, a, I've been trying to get out to Prince Edward Island here in Canada to do an ultra at the end of uh, end of July that got post postponed because there was no internal travel in those areas. So um, 
what do you do for a month with your business when you're out trekking across Europe? This trip, being an online coach and doing taking a month off the hike, is a little problematic. Like I'll be coming back into town, getting on some Wi-Fi and talking to my clients. But it's really, it's kind of a milestone for me because I've been working on this online thing full time for two years. And it's now got to the point where I'm like, okay, I can actually relax a bit. We have like a, a systematic inflow of clients who are reading our emails and watching my YouTube videos and then opting in when they want to get a little extra help. So I don't have to hustle so hard anymore. So I've got to the point where I can just not put it on pause, but I can have it kind of rolling in the background while I go hiking for a few weeks, which is, like I said, it's a milestone. I'm, yeah. I probably sound like I'm not that excited, but if, you, if these guys could see my face, they'd see that I was very excited. You sound, you sound <laughs> excited, man. You sound excited. Now, I think having those big goals like that too, right? Those milestones also helped us to keep in, in shape, right? Because sometimes people, I find that when you, you know, as a, as a coach yourself, when you're trying to help clients get into shape, you can often hear that there's this lack of goal or there's this thing that they, they can't seem to get engaged in the lifestyle of fitness and health. And I find that mm. maybe, you know, if you're a personal trainer or if you're a coach, the fact that our business helps us to stay in shape. I mean, we don't want to be out of shape coaches. I mean, there are mm. them, but, you know, we don't want to be that. But um, do you find that it's really critical to have these big lofty goals, things that keep us engaged? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know how people keep on track and stay motivated for an aesthetic goal. I've never understood it. Uh, Cause I've never, I've never been your average in a gym personal trainer looking to improve body shape and image. And I've just, I've never been in that world. So I really I struggle to understand how people stay focused to be able to like look really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's probably got a little bit to do with my genetics and, and that as well, because I find that I can't, my body does change really quickly. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, cool, that's good enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The nature of you, the beast, right? The nature of your activity keeps you fit. Mm. And obviously that has its own aesthetic um, changes yeah. too that come along with it. Right. Yeah, it's like a secondary, it's a nice kind of extra reward. I tell people that do my training that like it may happen, it, it may not happen, but if it does, it's like, cool, that's a bonus. But our priority is keeping you injury-free, making sure you're able to complete your event or your trip or your expedition and getting home safely. Yeah. What's your and if you look great at the end of it, then that's yeah. Oh, yeah, bonus. yeah. <laughs> Usually it's the case, right? And then you get usually home you they start... don't look that good at the end, especially if they've been in the in the Himalayas for a month. They came back, they come back totally emaciated most of the time, unfortunately. <laughs> and that's and that's when we can uh, that's when we can do some like bodybuilding style training to put put a little bit of muscle back on to feel, feel yeah. better. But the goals, was, I don't think I actually ever answered your question, but obviously, yeah, the goal is very very important. Um, I'm sure we'll probably get into that in a little bit deeper later. 
Yeah, and to believe that you can adapt your life in a way to allow you to go after that goal, right? Sometimes people let um, work and family and lots of things mm. become the reason to not chase after a goal. But I think everybody wins. You win, your family wins, your colleagues win when you're a goal getter. You know, you go out there and you want to do bigger things and it, it makes your days, I think, feel more meaningful and you transmit that to the people around you. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I was talking to a couple of my friends last night about, um, you know, they're searching for work and they were talking about what was on their resumes and we're talking about, you know, sporting achievements and why you might put that on your resume. And I think it's a really uh, indicative thing of, of, a pers- of, of your personality and your work ethic if you've chosen to apply yourself for a certain amount of time and achieve a particular thing, whether it's, you know, whether it's something completely physical or not, there's always some sort of mental aspect to that, that it's a pathway that, that enables you to walk down that way. And without that pathway, it wouldn't have got done. And it's that same pathway that, that enables you to be a successful entrepreneur or a successful stockbroker or whatever you happen to be. So, How do you work on your mental toughness? That's an import- I think that's important because I think mental toughness is a very big part of all of this. Um, I guess in particular with mountaineering, when we talk about mental toughness, it's in relation to fear. So there's a certain amount of learning that we need to do to overcome certain fears. And I'm, I'm working through that on varying levels with some of my clients at the moment, but the most, uh, significant fear I think we have is fear of the unknown. So a lot of the time knowledge is the answer to fear because it can help us understand. For example, if you're a rock climber, most, most people will look at rock climbing if they're not, if they haven't done any rock climbing before, if they haven't got friends that have done it, they would think that it would, it would be incredibly dangerous and really, really scary. But when you, when you bring knowledge into the equation and understand how bolts are attached to the rock, and how cams work and how strong ropes are and how much they're tested and how important it is to maintain your gear and look after it, then all of those things, all of those little pieces of knowledge add up to mitigating risk and and eventually mitigating fear. And the same goes with alpine climbing. You need to understand how snow and ice works. You need to understand how, how and why avalanches happen. So my approach to that is, knowledge how long have you been at it that you have the knowledge that you have right now i started mountaineering around 2011 and i would dream about climbing in the himalayas i i never really believed that it was something that i could do it was i was an armchair mountaineer and then i had i guess a lot of kind of significant changes in my life through my early 20s and I started to understand that I had control over my life and I wasn't just in the passenger seat. And I started to just go after the things I wanted to. I didn't have any friends that were into mountaineering. None of my, I didn't grow up learning climbing from my parents or going skiing with my family. I didn't really have any of that. We did a little bit of camping and stuff, but I really had to just go and find the people on my own, join a rock climbing club, start climbing, start learning. Tell me about 
uh, hiking and mountain climbing in the Himalayas. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it is a phenomenally uh, engaging experience and one that can it can elicit a lot of change because of your you you totally in new circumstances in terms of absolutely everything is different. The culture is different. The atmosphere is different. Like scientifically speaking, the atmosphere is different. Uh, and the entire culture is different. And then you're placed at the bottom of the highest mountains in the world. So then you immediately have this experience of being very small and putting life and, and your, your experience into perspective. And all the while you're challenging yourself physically. So it's an amazing opportunity to, uh, to reinvent yourself. And that's kind of how I kicked things off with my business. Pairing this experience of uh, travel and physical challenge with preparation of mind and body and then pairing all that together to, to try and elicit a change from someone. The mindset uh, to me is what is my biggest fascination with doing things like this, activities that, that require, like you said, overcoming fear, things like that. Do you have any recommendations? Like what do you, what would you tell people that they can start to work on to, to really build the mindset of you can do this? Uh, I have a blog post, blog post called, I think it's five or six practical methods of building mental strength. Uh, so maybe we can link that in the show notes. Absolutely. But I think my favorite one would be journaling and watching the mind and listening, like listening to your own self-talk and keeping a, keeping a track of that because that's primarily what has helped me figure out what's happening within my own mind. And, and change this, like change the programming that I don't like, reprogramming something that I want. What does that journaling look like? Like specifically? Uh, it's three questions that I ask myself in the morning, and it takes like 15 minutes. And I got this from Tim Ferriss. So it is, what would today look like if, what's, what's one great thing that can happen to your day today? So you do that and do this in the morning. Then you have an affirmation for the day. So you affirm something that you want to happen. The third one is, uh, what is something you're grateful for today? Oh yeah, man. Gratitude, so right? That can, that kind of completes the cycle of, you know, for uh, future and future and past. So what are you grateful for now? What do you want to happen today in the future yeah. and what's happening in the present? So it's, it's fairly simple and it takes, yeah, it's great to sit down and have a coffee and and spend five minutes doing that. And a lot of the time, it's just five or six words. If I've got a little bit more time, sometimes I write a whole page or half a page on each thing. But doing maintaining that practice has helped me kind of realize little things along the way, like little pointers, little signs that I notice about myself, things that I want to adapt or change. Why don't people listen to that, Chase? That is so important, man. I got to say... That journaling is a life changer, but people don't necessarily do it. They think it sounds great and they don't commit to it. Why is mm. that, man? Why is it that you can tell people the things that can help them to change their lives and they just can't seem to dig in and get it going? Well, 
there's a number of things that are distracting us just constantly all the time. I mean, I'm no saint. I've been like, I wouldn't say religiously doing it for kind of two years, but I definitely keep coming back to it. And it's always those times when like I'll get really busy and I'll be working too much and I won't be looking after my, uh, my routines very well. And then I get kind of notified by myself like, okay, when was it good? No, it was good when you had the routine and good when you were journeying. So go back and do it. And I think that's almost like a catch-22 unless you start and realize how it's affecting you positively. You can't you can't benefit from it if you never start and and really commit yourself to it. Like if if you know that you're a better person because of the time that you allow for yourself to build a routine, that better person is able to help others and improve your family life and improve your relationships and improve your uh, health and fitness and your immunity and all kinds of other stuff. Then it's very important to be selfish. Yeah. For, you know, for five fifteen minutes a day. So let's talk about that for a second. What would you say are some of your fundamentals? Do you have some beliefs that you think are fundamental to creating an ideal life for yourself? One of the most important things is constant challenge and constant growth. Because being, I, I used to aim to be comfortable and comfortable is your enemy. There's no growth. Basically. Yeah, there's no there's no growth in it. So, I, I would say continual continual challenge is important. Surrounding yourself with good people. So, I, I definitely believe you're the, the the combination of the five closest people around you. I think that's incredibly important. Just writing down your priorities and understanding what you prioritize. So, for me, I chose to to live in Barcelona. This is the perfect place for me because it's situated in like on the on the beach, and I grew up on the on the ocean, and I need that in my life. It's super important, but I also love the mountains. So the mountains are are at most an hour away, and then the the smaller mountains are very very close. It's probably one of the best areas in the world for rock climbing. So and but no one moves to Barcelona for to become rich or famous. You know, it's it's a very it's incredibly culturally rich city with many people from all around the world you have beautiful art beautiful music some of the most incredible architecture in the world you walk past buildings from Gaudi every day a couple of blocks down the road is the Picasso Museum I don't really want to live in a small town I, I might do when I'm a little bit older but I I you know that, that part of my life is super important to me so I knew that coming here would be able to combine all those things it's a matter of like knowing what you want. I like what you said that people don't move to Spain to become rich because you're, everything you talked about were the things that are parts of your values. What do you value in life? You said the mountains, the ocean. I was raised by the ocean, the culture, the general experience of it. And I really, I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, I would, it's a, a huge kind of, might be a trade-off for some people to, to take a step back in in uh, uh, financial what, what they're being paid. Um, so it really just comes to a point where maybe you've got so much money that you can't even you'll never even know how to spend it. Like there's a certain amount of money in the world that is just like 
you're never going to be able to do anything with that. Like, why Why are you trying to accumulate this much money? You could never spend that in a lifetime. That scares, scares the hell out of me, having that addiction. Yeah, yeah, wow. Because you spend, you're so distracted trying to accumulate some anonymous figure in a bank account that you don't enjoy your life. And when you do, when you do enjoy your life, you it's, it's done with such indulgence and luxury that you might not even remember it. The reason that I first reached out to you was I had encountered your video on YouTube, specifically the one when all this passes, you know, what will be different. That video really impacted me, man. And it really, I wanted to talk to you about it because it kind of is a segue for what you just said, because what we were just talking about is finding meaning in life, right? That meaning can be a a very big pull for us to move in the right direction and not necessarily money. And I want to get your take on the video, just to give people a little bit of background on it. Like, can you just explain how that video came about. I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes for sure because I just think it's such a wonderful piece of work that you did. It really came about as it it, it initially meant to be a blog uh, or a vlog rather. I was building up for this long run that I've been wanted to do for two years, which was a 24-kilometer loop around the mountain that is right by my house. So I'd been training for this and I'd figured out the path that I wanted to go. I'd been around both sides in two separate trips and to understand that I could connect the whole circuit and I was ready to go and I brought my camera and I was kind of going to like vlog the, the whole thing. And then partly through the run, I just realized that I was enjoying myself too much to stop and talk about it all the time. And I just wanted to make more of a silent kind of film. And it was also really inspired by Craig Adams, who he was the first podcast I was on. He makes amazing silent films. And I was like, I'm going to actually make a silent running film or like almost silent. So I had all the footage. I got home and I started editing it. And at around this time when I was doing the run, COVID was basically a joke. Like no one was really paying attention to it. We weren't in lockdown yet. By the time I got around to the editing process, there was many, many thousands of people that were infected, thousands of people that were uh, dying or dead from from this illness. And so I was at a point where I hadn't really put out much content during that time because I felt that it was an insensitive time to be putting out just irrelevant content. And I was like, well, I want to put out something thoughtful. I want to create... I'm not going to do a vlog, but I want to say a couple of things just to indicate that this is basically a silent film and it's designed to for, you, for your enjoyment and with a good music track and some nice views, but also it's designed to kind of make you think for a, a minute or two and hopefully hold people's attention through the entire video. And with the most important thing at the time and still is in the world at the moment, probably being, being this virus, I just wanted to get people thinking and uh, initially I wanted to share my own thoughts but I think it's better to just ask the question and find let people decide for themselves so my takeaway was, was just that 
There's this beautiful beginning where you're sipping coffee, I believe, on your balcony and you're just looking mm. over the mountains. And then it starts slowly. You meet the older men in the street who ask you if you're cold, you know, and mm-hmm. and all your encounters are very like they're very like just one person and then a lot of yeah. still time with no people around and mm. and then to the mountains and then at the end there's a celebration going on with the people at the table and and eating and that yeah. that like it just brought everything around and yet it, after the video i was sad you know i was feeling like this this uh the sense of isolation but mm. yeah is, is that's what i was experiencing when i was editing because i i was probably a month into quarantine i hadn't seen my friends for weeks and weeks and weeks i was lonely so that that came across in the edit i did i didn't really mean for that to happen but that's the beauty of the art form and that was the, this was I'm not a filmmaker, but that was my first like attempt at kind of making it making a film and to to elicit some sort of response. So I'm I'm almost kind of glad that came across. But for anyone that hasn't seen the film, basically, the uh, I run past this restaurant where I'm going to have lunch with like ten of my friends later on. So it's uh, in the video, I you know I need to get the run done in order to come back to this place. And then I just, that was really the last big adventure that I had in running before the lockdown. It was the last time that I got to sit around and just enjoy something so simple and that I took for granted for my entire life, which is sitting around with my friends and having a drink and enjoying some amazing food. And I didn't get to do that for three months. And that's going to change people. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope people are, are affected in some way by this experience. If it's if if only it's just gratitude for what you don't have for that time. Well said. I wonder if you can help people to navigate the next few months of their lives, which is we already feel the conversations changing. I hear a lot of people talking more, even though we're in the middle of the summer here in Montreal. We uh, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about the second wave again, and there's this fear of being sequestered again, and and it's a legitimate fear. And I wonder if you have some words and some advice for people to m- move into the fall with a different attitude, maybe see things differently. Well, if if that's the case, and we do have to go into a second wave, like I kind of am here then you know if there was i would encourage people to kind of reflect on the time they had in the initial lockdown and ask themselves did you benefit from from that experience what would you like to change if that was to happen again what were the things that you told yourself at the beginning that you wanted to do but didn't achieve and don't scold yourself for it or punish yourself for not doing it in any way, but just ask yourself if those things are important to you, if it's important to eat healthier food in order to have more energy and more vitality in your average day, put something in place that enables you to start improving the way you eat. Or let's say you didn't, you weren't able to get a hold of the equipment or space that you needed to do a workout then adapt the workout to the surroundings that you're in 
And if anyone's looking for a way to do that, then I've got several videos on YouTube that are absolutely no equipment and total body. And you won't be lacking anything <laughs> after that workout, I think, unless you've been doing this kind of training for a while, in which case you probably still enjoy it anyway. So, yeah, there's there's unlimited unlimited options, as everybody knows. But I guess my number one piece of advice is just reflection and, and question. Yeah. What's your thoughts on the quarantine dietary practices? What do you, what do you tell, what have you told your clients about that? Like, how do you help them to, you know, listen, you're in quarantine. Yeah. You get, you know, access to your fridge is right there. How do you help people with their nutrition? What do you, what are your thoughts on it? I've been avoiding the nutrition question for my entire career, basically. <laughs> it's such a downloaded question, right? I, yeah. I hate talking about nutrition, to be very honest with you, but I just want yeah. to get your take on it. I, you know. Well, since we're on a podcast and we've got a bit of time for, for, for me to explain myself, um, I, when I started the business, I was very much in a mindset of eating natural foods and basically being vegan or close to it and I still am uh, when people ask me about diet I give them up until the up until like this year I've given people generic advice just because I'm not a nutrition coach like I understand that's an incredibly uh, complex part of uh, physiology that I'm not educated enough in to, to give people advice but if, if you were to ask me about what I eat, it almost it has almost nothing to do with performance or uh, my personal gain. In a lot of ways, what I do eat is, is kind of a sacrifice because my number one priority with what I eat is the environment. I'm not like if I if, if I perform two percent less in the mountains by not eating meat than I'm okay with that because the ultimate benefit for me is, is to preserve the mountains and to preserve our uh, flatlands, our rivers, our lakes, our water systems, our uh, oceans, our beaches, our entire ecosystem. That's the number one priority because if that isn't there, then what's the point of any of the training? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't, I'll just be, you know, stuck inside in a in an incredibly hot violent uh, world in terms of in terms of our uh, in terms of our ecosystem yeah. so I'm I've seen enough studies that suggest that switching to a permanently plant-based diet is beneficial for the environment um, there's quite a few other people that do suggest that as well so that's why I've stuck to for the last eight years I feel great People ask me where I get my protein, <laughs> but I mean, I, I the, the proof's in the pudding. I perform really well. I can't remember the last time I had an injury. I have a very high energy level, but at the same time, I don't want to be a vegan ag- advocate or even a vegetarian advocate because I feel like that is counterintuitive. I've got friends uh, or peers that are very kind of pro-vegan and pro-vegetarian and I love them for it and I, they're like they're warriors but I think 
some of those messages sometimes actually have the opposite effect where people get incredibly defensive about the fact that they eat meat because they do feel challenged by that and a lot of people have grown up eating meat all the time they don't want that taken away from them i understand that for me like just telling someone straight up to stop eating meat i know then that's not going to result in a positive outcome but like having a discussion like this and and talking about it is the way to go this is the first time i've publicly been asked to speak about nutrition so i'm glad i'm the first one to ask (laughs) (laughs) and get you to actually publicly uh, open up about it you know like but do you think like do you think because of what we've gone through with covid and the disruption and seeing the fragilities in our food distribution networks do you feel that that's going to have a positive change on food and nutrition and the way people look at it, maybe pushing people more towards a plant-based diet, because we do have to acknowledge that the industrialized food production, especially Mm. proteins like cattle and livestock is a problem in our current situation, right? That's where that's a breeding ground for illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And to be fair that the, the issue isn't whether you eat meat or not. It's the source of the meat and where it comes from. Like I eat, I eat meat very occasionally. I'll have it if uh, it's part of a culture experience or if it's, you know, Christmas day and there's a turkey or what have you, I'm going to eat it. Like it's there already. My thing is I, I just don't buy meat. I'll eat it if it's around because I really enjoy it. I think it's uh, a, a wonderful experience, a culinary experience. I don't enjoy missing out on it. So, you know, once or twice a year, if I go fishing or if I, you know, have the opportunity to to eat meat, then I eat meat. But I don't want to contribute to it, to the, you know, (laughs) agricultural, agricultural, industrial complex that. (laughs) Right. And if more people. uh, Having a massive effect. That's it. Yeah. And if more people practice like that, then the production of meat would be much more sustainable than it is. And Mm. you're very much in alignment. I think it's Dan Buettner who wrote uh, the green, uh, the blue zones. And that's very much like Mm. the blue zones where they find centenarians. They don't not eat meat. They just like, it's like Mm. you just said, it's like on Christmas, it's for a cultural experience. It's not really part of their regular diet. And these people are living Mm. a very, very long time. Yeah, he's an incredible, incredible researcher, yeah. and one of the first things to look at if you if you really want to start the conversation about living longer, <laughs> because that's some some good proof there for sure. The the whole idea on protein it's it's very anabolic. It's you know it's not pro longevity, right? It does. Uh, it's really important to ease off of it. Maybe increase it a little bit as you get older. But there's this obsession mm. about too much protein and pre workout, post workout. Like you know, I'm a advocate of like training and actually sometimes I tr- I go for runs thirsty. Like I don't mm. want to over consume and sometimes I want to put a little bit of more metabolic stress on my body and not mm. always eat. You know, I run fasted. Sometimes I stay fasted after a run. I like to really mm. challenge my body that way. Yeah. That's a really good practice actually for, for endurance sports, particularly like uh, ultra, ultra distance running because you do put your, uh, metabolic system through a lot of stress and then part of 
preparing for that would be doing the things that you've just described. I haven't actually done any. Oh, I do fasted cardio, but that's that's uh, fairly accepted and normal these days, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah, and everything I almost everything I do is low intensity. At least from from my perspective, probably there's you're people the only that disagree guy who, with you. <laughs> you're the only guy who calls an ultra, you know, low intensity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's it's long, slow distance. It's what it is. It's like staying in your staying in your aerobic zone for as long as possible, and letting your fat metabolize for as long as possible. It's, it's low intensity. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it the day after. That's too too intuitive, you know. People like complicated. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the long distance running. I've never really been uh, much of a runner. I spent most of my career uh, for the first five or six years pretty actively convincing people not to run. Most people, unless they were runners already and really enjoyed it just because of the biomechanical stress and the potential for injury is very high. When you take a sedentary person and you want them to go to the Himalayas in 12 weeks or 16 weeks, you don't really want them to run. They're not going to run up Everest or whatever. So I, most of the time I was convincing people not to run. And so for, for the most part, I did very little running myself. But when I moved here, there's a really strong trial running community and I'm really close to the mountains. And when I moved here, I was like, yes, okay, this is time for me to get into trial running. I'm really keen to do this now and see what my uh, what my real endurance is like. Because trekking or hiking or mountaineering are a very different type of endurance. That's real low intensity, much lower probably than than doing a distance run, I would say. So... Now, I want to ask you one final question, Chase, because this was, you know, primarily the first reason why I'd reached out to you was after watching that video. The title of that video was What Will Be Different? And I want to ask you, what do you find is different about you after having gone through the last, you know, half a year of COVID and the disruption that came along with it, how it affected your life and sent you into a your sequestered life once again on the, a semi-second wave in Spain. And what what do you think's different for you? For me, I've long been quite uh, a workaholic and quite hard on myself. And oftentimes I would tell myself, oh, if you could just cancel your social plans and not go out on the weekends or not um, spend time with my partner, if I could just lock myself in a cabin for a month or two, then I would have all of this done and everything would be fine and I'd be where I wanted to be. I got locked in a cabin for three or four months and nothing changed. I just gave myself more work. I put more pressure on myself. And so that is the big thing that COVID taught me is that what you perceive as being the panacea to all your problems will always be just out of reach. And it's not to say that you shouldn't be reaching for greater goals and to improve yourself, but it's important to note that as your circumstances improve, so do your expectations and your wants and your needs. And so you have to keep a handle on that. Otherwise, you'll be chasing your tail. That's probably the number one thing I've learned this year. 
Well said, man. Chase, I mm -hmm. want to thank you so much for your time. I look forward to doing a follow-up with this. I really enjoyed our conversation, and there's just so much more to cover, and I look forward to doing this again with you very soon. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of topics we didn't even get to touch on, so I'd be super happy to do that. Thanks for the invite, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'll be back. Yeah, thank you, my man.